started. Welcome, everybody. Frank, Barbara, good to see you again. Welcome. Let everybody, does everybody have a handout? We had some, uh, just so you can kind of uh, keep track and hopefully we'll, uh, it'll help us to kind of have a sense of where we are in our uh, exploration tonight. But uh, first of all, just thank you for coming. This is, uh, I've just been fun uh, studying and, and working through the text from a personal standpoint. And I appreciate the fact that we could kind of do it together, and uh, that's always it's always good. So, thank you for taking the time to come. Would you join with me, and let's ask the Lord to help us tonight as we explore His Word. Heavenly Father, we approach you uh, confident that you want to do good for us tonight. Lord, you've given us your word. Lord, you've given us your Holy Spirit that we might uh, learn and see. Uh, Lord, we do ask that you would uh, open our eyes, open our hearts. Lord, help us to discern uh, spiritual uh, truth. Lord, it's only as you open our eyes that we connect with the, the truth of your word. And, and God, we want that tonight. We don't just want to learn some stuff or grow in our knowledge. But Lord, we want the truth of your word to impact our lives, to impact our hearts. Lord, to help us to, to know you better and for that knowledge to work itself out in a life that brings glory to you. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, I think I'd mentioned, um, and several people were like, hey, we're wondering how you're going to get through the entire Bible. You're going to wrap it all up. You only managed to get through 11 verses. Well, I'll just state from the outset, it's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, I'm not even going to try. Uh, you know, I'll be doing good to get through the first chapter. But we will, we will touch on the... Um, the second and the third chapter in a couple of ways. And what I hope is that as I and as you maybe uh, read Second Peter in the days to come, what we've learned from the first chapter will really inform and help us to understand. Because, you know, the in chapters 2 and 3, the tone does change quite a bit and the content changes. But But once you really have a grasp on what Peter communicates in the first chapter, you're, you're well served to be able to work through kind of the warnings that he talks about and, and the false teaching that he addresses and, and, you know, the result of what false teaching does in the lives of those that, that follow after that. So I uh, hope that's helpful in the days to come. Well, the title for our message tonight, and I, I did watch an episode of Sherlock, and I, I just, I don't know, it was in the mystery, the detective range, so I thought, well, I'm going to use that in my title. I'm seeing something here, and the title for tonight is Faith on Trial, The Curious Case of the Forgetful Fellowship. So, you know, we're, we're kind of, in a sense, in a courtroom tonight. You know, I guess I can, I can put my hand on the Bible. You know, I swear to tell the whole truth, 
nothing but the truth, so help me God. I mean, that's, that's sort of my prayer. I'll be able to do that tonight. So as we look at, we're going to look at uh, verses, I believe it's 12 through 21. Um, it's good to remember that the believers that are reading this letter, their, their faith is on trial. There's, um, there's an attack. There's questions. There's, there's people scoffing and, and um, really uh, attacking their belief. And I think it's important for us to, to kind of look at that and say, well, why, why was that? In what ways was their faith on trial? So if you look along with me in your outline, um, and I believe it's there, we ask the question, why was their faith on trial? Well, first of all, there were destructive heresies, there was depraved conduct, and there were fabricated stories circulating around. So let's, uh, let's open our Bibles, and you can see, um, uh, mention this on your outline, Second Peter chapter 3. So this is one of the couple of places I, I promised we would get out of chapter 1, uh, drop out of it for a couple of minutes. But uh, here's what Peter says about the what's going on uh, in these days. Second Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1. He says, But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. So that's one of the ways that their faith is on trial. There's there's untruths, there's destructive heresies, there's uh, fabricated stories swirling about, and these are, are trying the faith of these believers. Um, another way that their faith is on trial is, I think I mentioned this, there's some scoffing. There's some sense that, that the false teachers and people around them, the culture, they're, they're kind of laughing. They're, they're making light of an aspect of their faith. And in particular, they're scoffing about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And a little bit of context here. I mean, we don't know exactly the year. There's not a, there's not a date, you know, in the upper right-hand corner of Second Peter, to the best of my knowledge. But we think there's a good chance he's writing maybe at the end of the 60s. Um, so think about it. It's, a, what, 35 years after the earthly ministry of Jesus. And, you know, so there's a sense that, um, you know, these people are, are believers. You know, they were, um, they're excited. They, um, they came to know the Lord and, and all these prophecies. We'll talk about some of those were, were brought to life as, as Jesus walked the earth. But, and in a lot of ways, um, Jesus, his coming and his kingdom kind of didn't happen the way they were expecting it to. And, you know, 35 years later, they're, they're saying, you know, well, hey, what happened to the, you know, the aspect of our enemies being dealt with and, and you know, the, us being set free in this, this kingdom and, and the reward? There, there were certain aspects where they're they having to work through that. And one of the things was, what about the second coming? And uh, there were scoffers in that day. Look at um, 2 Peter chapter 3, starting 
in verse 3, Peter, writing to them, says, Above all, you must understand that in the last day, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their evil desires. They will say, Where is this coming, he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. So this is a test. You know, they're, they're in this culture and um, their faith is being questioned. You know, what, what about this coming? Hey, it's 30, 35 years later. Um, they're questioning things. So Peter's writing to these Christians to warn about these deceptions. And to a degree, um, in this trial, their faith is on trial. We've got the case of the, the curious case of the forgetful fellowship. He calls witness number one. And there's going to be three witness, three witnesses I, I'm going to put forward to you today. He's going to call three witnesses. Those witnesses are the believers themselves. He's going to call the apostles to the stand. And he's going to call the prophets to the stand. So let's look at that. Let's talk about witness number one. Witness number one is being sworn in, and that's the believers themselves. Uh, let's read in Second Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 12. Peter says, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are fir- firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. So let's look at this, and let's talk about the believers themselves being witnesses. Now, Peter is saying they are firmly established. Uh, but he's, he's reminding. He says, hey, I, I need to remind you of things. I need to refresh your memory. I need you to remember. And to that end, he says, I'm going to make every effort. There's that phrase that we've seen already happen a couple of times, you know, where, where Peter has said, I want you to make every effort to, to add these attributes. I want you to make every effort to see that you're calling and your election are sure. Now, he's applying that phrase to himself. He said, I'm going to make every effort to make sure that after I leave, after I'm gone, you're going to be able to remember. You're going to be able to, to stand firm in the truths of the faith. So they know this information. It's not new to them, but he's reminding them of things they already know. So it's kind of there's kind of uh, alliteration going there. He's uh, there's he's encouraging them to be reminded, to refresh, and to remember. And um, if you remember back in back in verse nine, there was already some forgetfulness happening. He's talking about you know you could forget you know if you don't walk in the good of these things. Uh, there are people that are forgetting that they've been cleansed of their past sins. So we can all tend to forget, can't we, sometimes? Um, you know, we have knowledge, but sometimes it grows a little stale. We have truth, but sometimes the, you know, the dust starts to, to build a little bit. Well, he's blowing that dust off. And uh, reminders are valuable. I mean, you think about, uh, 
you know, everybody, of course, values their mother, right? I mean, Tony values his mother. He never forgets to value his mother. Um, well, but we have, like, Mother's Day, right? Why do we have Mother's Day besides to sell a lot of cards for the card manufacturer? I mean, Mother's Day is a... <laughs> exactly. Mother's Day is is kind of a, a resource or a, a means of grace for us to remember something that we know. Sure, we you know our moms are important. You know they they love us. We love them, but sometimes it helps to be reminded of those things. And same thing. You know we just went through the Christmas season. You know we always want to celebrate the birth of Christ, but it helps to have sort of these days to remind us. Um, one of the things that was interesting to see in, in the history of Israel, they needed to be reminded of things too. I mean, all the time, God uh, is reminding them of things that they would tend to forget. And uh, at times they would build altars or, or even build uh, memorials to help them to do that. And I thought if we could just take a minute, maybe keep your finger in Second Peter, but let's look at Joshua chapter 4. I want to make sure that we're all, I think, grounded in the fact that we all can benefit from, from being reminded, from being encouraged to remember. Um, you know, I haven't asked Jerry or Darren this, but, you know, you think, what percentage of the time that you're teaching is this brand new information? That's ne- this has never gotten out. This is brand new stuff. Yeah, <laughs> never in time. I mean, by and large, what they're doing is helping us to remember things that we already know, um, and that's good. And that's we need that. And and Peter is joining in that ministry with with Jerry and Darren and everybody who who teaches the Word of God. So, look at Joshua uh, chapter four. It says, when, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua. Now, here, here's the scene. I can probably cut this down a little bit. But the scene is, you've got the whole nation of Israel. They're getting ready to, uh, well, they come to the River Jordan. They're probably thinking, well, now what? You know, there's, there's this river. It's a big river. And it even says that it's at flood stage this time of the year. So they're, they're, they're coming to the river and... Basically, the Lord has, you know, the, the priests go out. They're carrying the altar of the Lord. The, the river stops flowing. And, you know, the, the nation begins walking across the river. And uh, halfway through, um, Joshua, uh, in verse 4, says, He calls together the 12 men uh, who he had appointed from the Israelites, one from every tribe. And he says, Go over before the ark of the Lord uh, your God, into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Um, these stones are to be, and it says at the end of this, a memorial uh, to the people of Israel forever. So you would think that that's a pretty dramatic thing. How could, how could I ever forget that the Lord stopped up a river so that an entire group of people got across? Well, God knows their heart. And he says, look, I'm, I'm going to help you. I'm going to set up a memorial. Whenever you see that, you're going to be reminded of something that you already know. Peter 
um, as he's writing to these believers, is reminding them of things they already know. What are those things? What does he need to remind them of? Well, he says uh, in uh, verse 12, I will always remind you of these things. Well, he's talking about the things that he's been talking about in the previous 11 verses. And just to recap briefly, in verses 1 through 4, you know, he talked about the deity of Christ. He talked about how precious their faith was, the, pre- the, the faith that they have through the knowledge of God. So they need to be reminded of those things. In uh, verses 5 through 11, he, they need to be reminded that uh, they were called to... Uh, um, that they had been given everything that it pertains to life and godliness, that they're uh, to make every effort to grow in godliness. They need to be reminded that they can have every confidence in their calling and election if they follow the Lord in these things. So Peter's saying you need to be reminded of these things. So Peter's a faithful friend, and he's, he's really ministering at a time of, of tremendous danger. Just, to, I think it's helpful sometimes to, to know. I, I, at least I, I value knowing what, what's, what's going on in the life of, of those that are being written to. What's, what's going on in the life of those who are doing the writing? <clears throat> and we don't know everything, but again, there's, uh, there's quite a bit of church history that attests to Peter at the end of his life in AD 60, 60, 65, 68. He's in Rome. And um, Rome is not a good place for a Christian to be in the 60s. You know, if you're a child, people say, well, I'm a child of the 60s. How many people are a child of the 60s? Well, if you're a child of the 60s, I mean, if you're in Rome and you're a Christian in the 60s, it is not a good time. Just a brief description, there was a, uh, there was a senator and historian. His name was Tacitus. And uh, he is writing, he's telling an account about Christians. He says, In their very deaths, they were made the subjects of sport, for they were covered with the hides of wild beasts and worried to death by dogs or nailed to crosses or set fire to. And when the day waned, burned to serve for the evening lights. Nero offered his own garden players for the spectacle. So Nero is in charge. Nero is the Caesar ruling in Rome at this time. So this is this is the this is sort of the environment that Peter's writing out of. You think I mean I don't know about you, but if if my you know people in the church, you know, Tony or maybe Todd, you know, Todd's you know being set fire to or something, that's probably not the time I'm wanting to write a public letter about the faith. You know, that's a that's a tough time to be taking a stand for your faith. But but that is exactly what Peter's doing. I mean, he's in Rome, and Christians are dying. And, uh, but he's a faithful friend, and he's, and he's faithful to the very end. He talks about, um, in verse uh, 13, he says, I think it's right to refresh your memory uh, as long as I live in this tent of the body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as the Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. You know, there are those who would say, well, you know, Jesus basically told Peter at some point, you know, he gave him a hint he was going to be crucified. And and so Peter may have had a sense of that. He may have just been seeing what was going on around him. But 
but people are being killed for their faith. Um, and uh, early in church history and early theologians and early writers say that Peter, in fact, did die. Uh, just to give you a sense, uh, Eusebius, who was a, bitch, a bishop and a historian and a theologian, he said, um, therefore, uh, Paul was beheaded in Rome itself, and likewise, Peter also was crucified under Nero. This account of Peter and Paul is substantiated by the fact that their names are per, uh, preserved in the cemeteries of that place. Origen, who was a theologian and scholar, said that Peter was crucified at Rome with his head downwards uh, as he himself had desired to suffer. <clears throat> so when, when Peter is writing saying, you know, I want to give my all to reminding you, I want to give my all to helping you in this trial of faith, he's, he means it. And he does ultimately give his all for the church. So uh, although he knows he's going to die, he doesn't want the faith to die. You know, the apostle may die, but we don't want the apostolic faith to die. So he's making every effort to make sure that the church is reminded. So the believer's faith is being tried. Peter's calling them, in a sense, to the witness stand. He's stirring their memories, memories of the truth that they know, but sometimes had grown forgetful of. So that's witness number one. So witness number one, thank you. You can, you know, have a seat. And let's call witness number two. So the second witness that Peter is calling, uh, in a sense, is himself or, or the apostles, generally. Let's read on in Second Peter chapter 1. Peter writes and says, uh, For we did not follow cleverly desired or devised stories, when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. So it's interesting to note here, Peter had been writing in the first tense. He'd been writing, I this and I that. And all of a sudden, he's switching to we. He's talking about himself, but he's talking about other apostles at this time. And he's talking about, um, you know, one aspect of helping them in the trial of their faith is, um, hey, there's some eyewitness testimony. And let me tell you about what we saw with our own eyes. They're not only eyewitness test, uh, eyewitnesses, but they're ear witnesses. They heard something. And what we're talking about here is the transfiguration of Jesus. Now, it's interesting, you know, defending the faith is not unique to this epistle. I mean, uh, all, all these different epistles, there's all this defense of the faith. And it's interesting to see uh, you know, for the most part, they, yeah, when the writers of the epistles, they talk about the life of Jesus and his incarnation. They talk about his sinless life. They talk about his miracles, his, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. But it's interesting to see that this is the only epistle 
where the, the uh, transfiguration is mentioned. And that, that really kind of stood out to me. I thought, well, you know, certainly all the Gospels, the Gospel accounts of the transfiguration are all very strong. They're um, uniform in describing this uh, instance. But uh, for the most part, none of the other epistles talk about this transfiguration of Jesus. So why now? Why here? Um, and I think there's a very specific reason. Let's, let's um, uh, explore that a little bit. Um, one of the reasons why, and you see this in your outline, uh, I think we've already mentioned this. In Second uh, Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 3, Peter, Peter writes, Above all, you must understand that in the last day, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own desires, and they will say, Where is this coming? He promised. Where is this coming? He promised. So Peter is wanting to... Um, attack or defend against a very specific uh, charge against the faith. And they were basically saying, hey, where's this coming? Now, the coming that he's talking about is not the transfiguration. The, the coming that they're talking about is the fact that Jesus is going to come again. His uh, perusia, I think is the word. Uh, let's, we'll talk a little bit about that. So you can say, well, why, why does that make sense? Why, if he's defending against arguments about the second coming, why is he using the transfiguration to war against that, uh, that attack? Well, let's talk about that for a little bit. Um, at the time of the writing of this letter, again, we talked about this a little bit. It's, it's like 35 years later after the earthly ministry of Jesus. In many ways, he came differently uh, than people expected. Uh, the Messiah had come, but now they were waiting for him to come again. And we're, we're waiting for that, aren't we? We're waiting for Messiah to come. And that's the perusia. Um, it's used many times throughout the New Testament. Every time that it's used in conjunction with Jesus, it's talking about his, his coming again. Um, but... Um, the early church really saw the transfiguration as kind of a preview of the second coming. They, they looked at the fact that Jesus was changed on the mountain, the fact that he was shown with majesty and glory. That was a sense of comfort that, yes, he's going to come again because we know when he appears again on that day, it's going to be glorious. Uh, it's going to be majestic. So that's what Peter is talking about here in this context. So... It, it was very, um, I'll tell you, as I read this, it was a good encouragement to me to be reminded of a second coming. Um, I need to be reminded that, that Jesus is going to come again. Um, I think we all need to be convinced that, that we're, the king is coming, that we're going to stand before the king and the judge. Um, I think that's a real help for us, a real incentive for us to walk in holiness when we have that sense that, you know, I'm going to stand before the king. Jesus is coming again. Um, and that's, uh, that's very important that we don't lose sight of that. The transfiguration was history. It is history. Uh, there was a historical observation. There's eyewitness testimony. 
Let's take a quick look at what happened there in Luke chapter 9. Again, if you have your Bibles, turn to that. Keep your finger on Second Peter. Let's go to Luke 9. Starting in verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up to a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Look, let us put up three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He didn't know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared, covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. Because the apostles saw and heard uh, Jesus' power, his glory, his authority at the Mount of Transfiguration, um, the early church had faith that he was going to come again with that power and that glory and authority when he came again. Look at uh, Luke 21. Flip over a little bit. This is talking about the second coming of Jesus, Luke 21, starting in verse 27. It's talking about the end times. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things take, begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So again, you see uh, the Son of Man There's glory, there's power, there's a cloud. The cloud of God's presence was present at the transfiguration. And and that cloud uh, will be with the Son of Man as he comes in glory. So, you know, as Peter is is on the witness witness stand, he's he's, uh, testifying uh, at this trial of faith. I mean, yes, he maybe could have talked about resurrection or ascension, but... But majesty happened on the mountain. And majesty and the glory of Jesus' coming was, was where the point of attack was. They were scoffing. These uh, false teachers, they're saying, oh, what, what is this false coming? Peter's saying, look, I was there. I saw Jesus. I saw the preview of coming attractions, in a sense. Um, you can believe that he is coming again. So, 
Witness number one, the believers themselves. Witness number two, the apostles. So the trial is, is winding down. We've got the, the third uh, witness that Peter is going to call, and he calls the prophets. So we go from the believers, we go to, from Peter, and now uh, the prophets are going to testify at, in this trial. Look at First Peter chapter 1. Starting in, I keep saying First Peter, don't I? Second Peter, chapter one, starting in verse nineteen. Okay, so he's talked about reminding them of the things that they know and are established in. He's talked to them about the eyewitness testimony. In verse nineteen, he says, "We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it." as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, through though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit." Um, I saw this quote by N.T. Wright, and it just uh, was so good. I, I thought a good perspective on this. I wanted to share this. It's in your outline. He says, The result of this eyewitness testimony is that the apostles could look over the entire world of biblical prophecy, that great, untidy, all-over-the-place story, which functioned all through as a set of signposts pointing forward to what was to come and could see that in retrospect, it all made sense. You know, there is that aspect, and I was talking to Mark about this a little bit. You know, the, <clears throat> the life of the Messiah, his coming, and so many aspects of his life were prophesied throughout the Scripture. You know, where he was born, and, and the manner of his life, and his, his uh, lineage, and how he would suffer, and how he would die, how he, how he would rise again. Um, and some of those prophecies pertain to his second coming, to his glorious appearing. But, you know, it, it's interesting as, um, and it must have been exciting for the first church, I think, in a way. You know, Jesus comes, he's had his, his life on earth, his earthly ministry, uh, and he ascends to the Father. And there is probably a sense where they're like, well, hey, wait a minute. You know, we were expecting things to be a little different. <laughs> you know, why aren't we, why aren't the Romans kicked out? And why, where's this glorious kingdom? And, and where's this reward? And, and so they begin to study, I would imagine, the prophecies. And you can imagine, you know, as they look, you know, I don't know if uh, I'm bad at like puzzles and stuff like that, but you think, you know, if you have this picture of what you're doing, it helps. So, you know, they're looking at the life of Jesus and they can begin to, to look at the prophecies and begin to say, yeah, that's right. You know, that's, that's where that works. And this, this aspect in Isaiah talking about the suffering servant and, and, you know, this a bit out of Daniel, they, they're seeing the prophetic word. And um, it's important that, uh, that we realize that that word, the prophetic word, is reliable. It's utterly true. Uh, Is it untidy sometimes? Yes. 
Does it seem like it's all over the place sometimes? Yes. But the, the prophetic word, the prophecies, the words about the Messiah are utterly reliable. You know, and that passage where, where he's talking about the prophetic writings, you could look at it in a couple of ways. You could say, okay, well, he's talking uh, exclusively about the prophets, the minor and the major prophets. You could also look at it and say, well, he's talking about all, all of the Old Testament. But um, I think what Peter is trying to remind us of is that the scriptures told of the Messiah to come. And yes, they talked about his glorious appearing. And, and the, the believers that he was writing to, he could say, look, it's been prophesied. It's been written. Um, and you think about, I mean, even in the life of Jesus, I mean, um, I mean it's, it's easy to underestimate, I think, how um, the apostles and the first church and, and how we should look at scriptures. You know, Jesus, where he was being tempted, said, you know, it is written. It is written. When, when something is written in the scriptures, it's, that's a done deal. It's settled. And I think uh, Peter, as he's helping these believers battle for their faith, he's saying, look, you've got the things that you know and established in. You've got the, our eyewitness testimony. But really, if you want to believe anything, he says, you've got the scriptures. You've got the words that are written of the Messiah. And um, I thought it'd be interesting just to walk through a few of these um, prophecies of the of the coming of the Messiah, the Perusia, the second coming. Um, if you want to turn to Numbers 24. Numbers 24, starting in verse 17. says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the people of Sheth. So this star, this morning star, you know, in the early church and, and um, among the Jewish people, they would have seen that as, ah, that's the Messiah. That's, that's the coming. He's the star. He's the morning star. Uh, turn to Malachi. It's like a, a Bible test here. Malachi 4. I know you guys, you, you guys will find it instantly well-versed in the scriptures. Look at Malachi chapter 4. And again, it's, it's easy maybe just to note these and say, hey, look at these later. But I, again, I, I found for myself, you know, it's... I often will think about heaven and about, about the fact that there's a that day. But I, it's like, oh, yeah, Jesus is coming again. <laughs> he, and he's coming in a way that's going to be majestic and glorious. And there is an aspect of, again, if you are convinced of that, and if you are walking in the truth of that, that will affect how you live. That was one of the parts, one of the things that I think Peter was making a point. Look, these false teachers are living ungodly lives. They are corrupt, they're deceptive, they're exploiting people. And to a great degree, I think he makes the point of saying, look, they don't, they don't think Jesus is coming again. They don't think they're going to stand before him again. So you would live differently, wouldn't you, in a way? I like to think, well, no, I'm, I'm, just, I'm good, and you know, I don't need any extra motivation, whatever. But 
I, I wonder, you know, if you weren't going to, if the king wasn't going to come again. That would probably affect how you live. Malachi chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. By the way, Jerry's, uh, this will, if, if this has whet your appetite, I know Jerry mentioned he's going to be preaching or teaching out of uh, prophecy. Is that right? So he can correct everything. Uh, <laughs> so you can, if any of this sounds uh, fuzzy or whatever, this is, a, this is like a preview of uh, why you need to go to Jerry's uh, <laughs> class. Ah, <laughs> oh, goodness. Malachi chapter 4. Surely the day is coming, it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Um, that son of righteousness. <laughs> um, that speaks of the Messiah, of the king coming again, his perusia. And uh, let's look at one more. Uh, I'll let you look at uh, Isaiah 60 later, but do you have uh, mention of Daniel chapter 7? Let's look at that. Daniel chapter 7. And to me, again, this, this relates well to that N.T. Wright quote where he's talking about, you know, these, the prophecies are great, but they're untidy and they're all over the place, but they're awesome. They're, they're so cool to read. Uh, Daniel chapter 7, starting in verse 13. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now, there's so much of that that as you, if you look at that and you overlay that with the transfiguration or if you overlay that with what we understand of, of Jesus' second coming, it's glorious. It talks about the clouds of heaven, the presence of God. It talks about the fact that he's been given authority and glory and power. Those are all things that were seen at the transfiguration, and they're all things that we look forward to on that day when he comes again. So we need to be reminded of the second coming, of Perusia. Um, so in addition to the first two witnesses, uh, they have their knowledge of God, they have the eyewitness testimony of the apostles, they have the prophets, they have the sacred scriptures. And that was the greatest witness that, that they could call on when they're standing in a trial of their faith. Peter's basically saying, you know, hey, if you don't believe me, go to the scriptures. It's written. It's there for you to read. So 
as we as we close, you know, and just thinking, you know, how to summarize and how to summarize maybe even chapters I haven't taught out of yet. <laughs> how would you do that? How would you in- include them in the summary? Um, to me, I think Peter does a fantastic job of summarizing himself. I don't, I don't feel like in, in a lot of ways I can improve on it. So let's look at a couple of verses towards the end of the, the book, starting uh, in chapter 3 of Second Peter. And I think a lot of ways, these really do, they mention a lot of the things that we've talked about, and they help us to, to uh, think about how to use this truth moving forward in the days to come. <clears throat> Second Peter, chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Peter writes, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders. There's that word again. He's reminding. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. So right there, even based on what we've been talking about tonight, you see recall and reminders. Um, you see uh, some of the witnesses that we've talked about tonight. You see the holy prophets. You see the apostles. Let's skip down to verse 11 in chapter 3. And this is after he's been talking about the end times. He's been talking about the judgment and, and destruction and fire and what's going to happen. And in verse 11, Peter says, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, your word uh, is a reflection of you, and it's wonderful, and it's majestic. Lord, I thank you for the way that you've served us through the writing of Peter. Lord, that we have been reminded that we have a great Savior, that we have a great salvation, that we have great promises, that, that we've been given everything to live a life that brings glory to you. And Lord, that... In this time, as we follow you, we can have our eyes set on the horizon to that day that you come again. And you will come in all your glory. And we look forward to that day. And Lord, in whatever way that we can, we don't understand, but we would love to to speed that day in coming, to hasten the appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.
Amen.